Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, before this episode starts, I want to talk about some pretty cool news. Oki Investigations now has its own website. It's truecrime.blog. And it is a running blog for crime stories and for this show. So if you're a true crime buff and you want to see some cool things that we gathered while researching each show, including a like timeline of events that we put together, uh, newspaper clippings, court documents, and much, much more, come check us out at truecrime.blog. One, two, three. Hello everyone and welcome to Oki Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby. In this episode, we are going to discuss the disappearance of 10-year-old Amber Barker. This tragic story takes place just days before Christmas in 1997. In this episode, we'll discuss what happened, why, and what's happened since. But first, if you're a first-time listener, to experience this podcast to its finest... Hit that subscribe button so when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Then, head on over to our Facebook page. Here we can discuss the case together, and perhaps come up with our own theories on the many cases that will be featured on this show. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Investigations. I hope everyone has had a fantastic week. I know I have. The days are getting cooler, and I've been able to enjoy myself more outdoors. We have a patio area in our backyard, and I've really set up a, like a, a sunshade, a small fire pit, and we kind of get out with the family. Also, my son and I have started a movie night. Uh, tragically, tragically, I felt as a parent. He has missed a lot of classic movies from my childhood, and since he's now 18 years old, I've decided he's got some catching up to do. So last week we watched Total Recall, the original version with good old Arnie. He loved it. It's a great movie. I'm also using some new recording software today. One of the things I really try to keep up on this show is the sound quality. I'm working up to getting a, a more studio microphone in the near future, but for now, I'm using an upper-end USB microphone. The only problem with this is that it literally picks up every single noise around me. So this week, the NVIDIA RTX broadcast application came out, and it's uh, supposed to help with background noise. So my computer has an RTX video card in it, so I'm able to use the software. So if someone is so kind, please let me know how this sounds. Uh, you can compare it to previous episodes. Uh, hop on over to our Facebook page. That again is facebook.com forward slash Investigations. Let me know. Let me know. It, I don't know if we're going to continue using the software or not, and so it's, 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 it's important. So, one of our newer segments that we want to start doing just every week, at least once a week, is Hot Off the Blotter. This week we have our Oki Scumbag of the Week. Uh, this is from the October 1st edition of the Daily Oklahoman. 
stated that Joshua Brown from Spencer, Oklahoma, beat his wife in front of their three children. He hit her with a handgun, a shoe, belt, a flagpole of all things. She later died of her injuries. According to the article, he stated to police that he just went too far. No kidding, right? The handgun he hit her with had an optical sight on it that shattered during the beating, and it was caked with blood and hair. Afterwards, he made his children actually clean up the blood. You know, I make it a fair point not to cuss on this show. So I'm going to be creative here. This guy is a real mother floodbucker. How many times have we said it on this show? Divorce is so much cheaper than spending the rest of your life behind bars. Two 20s and a 10. That's all it takes. That's all you need to get it started. There are attorneys out there that will work out payment plans on your divorce if you need it. These kids have to spend the rest of their lives with that horrible memory in their heads because you went too far? Get real. I seriously hope they throw the book at this guy. He beat this woman until she died, destroyed a family, and scarred three innocent children for the rest of their lives. I hope the state returns the favor and keeps a death penalty on the table for this one. That just, just irks me to no end. This episode, we are featuring something that I've wanted to cover for quite some time. That's pretty much when I started this whole show, this whole series. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we focus on is just brutal murders, and we cover the outcomes, and we say who did what. But this is more of just a mystery of what happened. You know, Christmas for every young child is special. Every kid loves Christmas. I mean, what's not to love? There's presents, family, food, songs, just lots and lots of fun. Christmas time is supposed to be that special time for kids, and things were no different during the holiday season in 1997. The hottest selling toy in 1997 were the Tamagotchi digital pets. I had two of them that year. Also, Beanie Babies were all the age. I mean, they were people just going crazy for those things. Uh, some were selling for thousands of dollars at the time. Just, just crazy. Now, these toys were probably on the mind of 10-year-old Amber Renee Barker. By all accounts, Amber was a pretty great child. Amber, or Amby, as most of her family lovingly nicknamed her, had two brothers and five sisters in 1997. Her parents were divorced, but she loved them very much. Amber would spend time with her father, Robert Barker, who lived in Chandler, Oklahoma. But she lived with her mother in Oklahoma City. Amber was not your typical 10-year-old. She didn't mind getting her hands dirty. Now, this was very evident when she would get in and help her father work on cars. Amber was also very interested in the welding process. She told her father she wanted to learn to be a welder. I don't know how many of you are welders out there, but it's not a glorious job. And I've done a little welding in my time. And I gotta say, I suck at it. December 1997 was a particularly hard year for students and staff at Monroe Elementary School. Kay Kilborn, who taught a hearing-impaired class at the school, died suddenly on December 13th, 
Two days later, the secretary of the school board, Sarah Pennington, also died unexpectedly. According to an article in the Daily Oklahoman dated January 26, 1998, this school year there had been 23 deaths of close relatives among the 52-person Monroe staff. We were ready for it to end, she said. Miss Lawson is a product of the Oklahoma City School District, having graduated from the old class in high and after studying at UCO and OU, began teaching in the system in 1971. This is her sixth year as Monroe's principal. You know, death in school is always really hard. The school that I grew up in had a couple of student deaths that were actually pretty hard. And uh, one happened when I was in elementary school, and the other one happened when I was in high school. Um, both of them were equally just just awful um the one that sticks out in my mind the most is the one that happened when i was in high school now the death of a teacher would be equally hard that's something that's really hard for uh, little kids to understand what's going on and what happened and and yeah i mean that's that's life but uh, to have something like that happen twice in one school can be a little rough. So I imagine everybody at Monroe was very, very excited for the coming winter break. Now, on December 17th, 1997, Amber had a normal day at school. She spent some time with mentor Ken Stone, who was helping Amber and a friend with a writing assignment. They were supposed to write some stories about living in Oklahoma. When they finished, Amber made a copy of her store and she gave a signed copy to Ken as a way to say thank you. After school, Amber didn't stay at home for very long. She wanted to go to a friend's house, so she put away her school things and before she left on her blue 10-speed bicycle, she mentioned something to her mother that would stick with her for the rest of her life. She mentioned that she was afraid of her sister's boyfriend Daniel John Smith. She had seen him driving in the neighborhood, and she was afraid that he would force her into his car. Amber went to a friend's house and stayed there till about 5.30 p.m. She called her mother and told her that she was on her way home. At this time, Amber's mother had a guest at the house, which was Daniel Smith. At the same time as the phone call, Daniel left the house. Witnesses believe that Daniel could have overheard the conversation with Amber. Now, according to Google Maps, which has a remarkable breakdown on how long it would take to ride a bicycle somewhere, it would take Amber three minutes to ride her bike from her friend's house to her own house. Now, taking consideration her age, cars, stop signs, other distractions, it shouldn't really have taken her more than 10 minutes to get home. When 30 minutes went by, Amber's mother began to worry. Another hour went by, and she was on the phone with the police. Now, when Amber's mother alerted police to what was going on, they jumped into action. They contacted the FBI, and the FBI brought in a program called Rapid Start. Now, Rapid Start, if you don't know what that is, uh, it's been used several times in some of our nation's worst history. It's, it was used during September 11th attacks. Uh, it's designed uh, to replace old and outdated technology, basically. So for years, the FBI didn't have ways to really share files. And, in, you know, in the 90s, you know, we're moving into this technological age. So 
files can be sent through the internet or through networks very, very quickly, very easily. And this is a system that was designed to kind of handle that, take leads, get it to the right people, allow people to kind of search through stuff and allow access for people all over on the field or in the office or just, you know, um, a free flowing of information, basically. So you could call and report what you know, what's happened, and, and these leads are supposed to be put in this system. So agents can first take these calls and they can put this information into the database. That database can then organize everything and then start making assignments to individual agents so that they can go out and do their work maybe a little bit more efficiently. Uh, this system was put to the test majorly in, during the September 11th attacks. Uh, they said that Rapid Start actually became so overloaded that the documents couldn't be retrieved because there's so much information coming in. So on the FBI side, they started taking in the calls. They started organizing the data. They started making assignments to field agents. What the police started doing, which was crucial to this case, was they started stopping motorists in the area, going knocking on doors. They started interviewing everyone that they could that might have seen something. And they passed out, you know, information. Um, the family actually started passing out flyers. They started canvassing the neighborhood. They started doing everything they could within the first 24 hours of her disappearance. Amber's mother, Bonnie, was quoted as saying... I miss her, I love her, and I want her home. I would like to have her back for Christmas. What a sad and terrible thing to have to wish for as a parent. I can't even imagine how she felt. Now, the day after Amber's disappearance, at 10.37 a.m. in the morning, uh, searchers were able to locate Amber's blue 10-speed bicycle. They noted that it was not damaged. And this is important because among the theories of what might have happened is that maybe there was an accident where maybe a car hit her and they might have, you know, panicked and done something with her or her body. And so looking at the bicycle, it not being damaged is a sign that maybe that didn't happen. While the search was going on and they were canvassing this neighborhood, uh, reporters did talk to other people, other parents in the neighborhood who were a little bit panicked because here we have this girl that's gone missing. Then there's no real clues to what have happened. It makes you wonder, can I let my kids go out and play? Can they go out and ride their bicycles? Is it safe? And that's a very legitimate question. It's in, in a perfect world, you could let your kids go out and play all the time. But this is not a perfect world. It's hard to say, you know, let's lock up our children all the time. It's, it's hard, to, hard to know if they're going to be safe. So it's a, it's a very hard, hard thing to have to choose, basically. About 15 years after this, my kids were right around this age, right about 10 years old. And if they were 10 and wanted to go ride their bikes, I was out there with them because I was worried. Uh, but, but I can also remember, you know, late 80s, being a kid, and <laughs> I was all over my neighborhood. 
and I had almost zero supervision. I would come home covered in scrapes and bruises, like I, I was trying to ramp something, and uh, I'd come home just beat all up, and you know, my mom would put some ointment on me, tell me not to do that, and send me on my way. I feel like it's important to note that Amber's bicycle was actually found in Denison Park, which it's about a mile and a half south of where her home is. And the actually the place that she was coming from, the, her friend's house, was just a few streets to the north. Now, part of the mystery here is how or why did her bicycle end up so far south from her house? Did she decide to go to the nearby park? Did she maybe, um, was she coerced or was she forced? Those are the questions. It was also right around this time of discovery that uh, Shannon McCrossan, mother of Kristen Hatfield, who was eight years old, said she wanted to visit the Barkers to show her support. Shannon's daughter had actually gone missing as well. Uh, she was an eight-year-old girl in Midwest City that was a currently open case, and she had learned a lot from her case that had happened, you know, in the not-too-distant past at this time. And so she wanted to go in, show her support, and also uh, pass on a little bit of her knowledge of what she experienced as well. She was quoted as saying, I just want the Barkers to know that I'm here and I have been there. I can let them know what to expect and what will happen. When speaking to reporters, Bonnie Barker said, Whoever's gotten her, please don't hurt her. Please let her go. She would do nothing to hurt you. Please do not hurt her. Now, knowing what was going on in the area, one of the residents that was helped searching for maybe some clues or the little girl herself, they found a tennis shoe, and it was a young girl's shoe, so they decided that they were going to go ahead and call the police. Now, this shoe was found just shortly before midnight and was quickly identified as Amber's shoe. The other shoe was found one block away from the other shoe. And also nearby that area, they found a sock and her sweater. Now, the sock, they couldn't 100% identify that it was Amber's at the time. It was a white sock. It was a typical sock. It was something that um, anyone could have lost, I guess, if you lose socks in the street. But seeing that there was clothing being found that were Amber's in the area, they're pretty sure that sock was hers. Now, the discovery of the shoes was on Northwest 13th and Drexel Boulevard. I have once again gone to my handy-dandy Google Maps, and I've decided that this is my favorite tool. Looking at that, that's further south, okay, from where the bicycle was found. And if we look at where uh, Denison Park is, and we look at where the house is. So we're going further south. Just going a straight line south. Northwest 13th in Drexel Boulevard is roughly 2.2 miles uh, from the home. For your Okies, this is just north of the Oklahoma State Fair Park. Now, and I think it's, it's important to note here that the last time Amber has seen is right around 5.50 p.m. and she was riding her bicycle towards her house on Drexel Boulevard. There were no eyewitnesses to come out saying that they had seen her south of her home. So it's not as if she was a child that had decided 
to maybe go by to a nearby park to go play or something like that. This is a girl that called home, said, I'm headed home, as you did at that time, because, you know, not everybody had a cell phone, and she was just trying to get home. So by Sunday, December 21st, 1997, the police were making it known that they were looking for Daniel John Smith. Now, they were able to talk to him on the night of the disappearance, but they had not been able to see him since and they were saying that he was not a suspect in the disappearance but they wanted to make it known that they're looking for him because he has not been seen now he was the boyfriend of amber's sister and amber's sister was cooperating with the investigation but it was noted that daniel smith was on parole at this time he was on parole for actually kidnapping in 1996. He was found guilty of carjacking a vehicle with an Oklahoma City woman inside and attempted to sexually assault her. Real winner. Now, they did issue a warrant for his arrest before violating terms of his parole. Of course, we find out this time Amber's mother has passed on information to the police about Daniel Smith and... Amber's worries that he might force her into a vehicle. This had to be something that was weighing on her mind because this was something that Amber had brought up that same day. That next morning, Frank Jones, a member of the Del Iyer Neighborhood Watch Association, was walking through Ray Trent Park in Dell City, Oklahoma, and they came upon a pretty gruesome scene of a man hanging over a creek the dead man was later identified as daniel john smith when police looked into this they said it was pretty obvious that daniel had hung himself and they ruled it a suicide now police and investigators had uh, searched ray trent park pretty well having hung himself there daniel might have had some kind of importance to that area so they decided to that they were going to look through the area for amber uh, there were several banded buildings and uh, structures around the park and so the police really kind of left no stone unturned here they searched it but did not find any traces of amber in this park now with no other leads coming in the police started looking at the evidence that they had they discovered a speck of blood on one of the shoes that they found that belonged to Amber. Vomit and blue fibers were found on a sweater Amber was wearing the night of her disappearance. Now, when police searched Daniel Smith's pickup, they found a blue cloth seats, blue carpet, blue vinyl dashboard, and they also found a bungee cord that was attached to the bed of the truck near the tailgate. Police recovered hair evidence from the passenger and driver's side of the vehicle. Now, they did note that the blood that was found was so small that police couldn't really determine its origin, which is pretty disappointing. Now, in the years since, the police have never found any more evidence in this case that leads to the idea or the discovery of where Amber might be at this time. Now, it is the belief of the... National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, that there's a high probability that Amber was the victim of a homicide. But Charles Pickett, who works with them, said that the case is still open and the investigation is still ongoing. In 2007, 10 years after Amber's disappearance, a DNA sample was taken from Bonnie and was tested against 
a set of human remains that was found in the area, but a match was not made at that time. Now, I imagine that family members held out hope that perhaps Amber would be found alive. Uh, there have been some articles and interviews uh, suggesting that they suspected that uh, she did not live past this encounter. And they, many family members believe that Daniel Smith was the perpetrator in this crime. But oddly enough, in an article dated June 7th, 2013 from the Daily Oklahoman, Amber's sister was interviewed about a, another death that happened and she brought up her sister, Amber, and she had some interesting things to say about Daniel Smith. She said, the guy that they think that did it is dead. I just wish I just wish I knew where she is. She does not think that her ex-boyfriend is responsible for the disappearance of her little sister and claims his suicide was incorrectly classified by a medical examiner. The guy that is responsible never got charged. He got away with it, she said. He's still alive too. Now she's claiming that she knows who this perpetrator is and she was declining to name the man saying that she's relayed her suspicions to homicide detectives but they have decided to not pursue those leads she said i told the detectives who i thought did it and he agreed but never did anything about it I found that to be a very odd and interesting take on all of this now, personally, I believe that Daniel Smith was probably the guy that did this. If Amber was having suspicions of him doing exactly what happened, then, uh, yeah, it's hard to really look anywhere else. Now, I don't know if there's any significance of parks in the area, but if her bicycle was found in a park and he was found hanging in a park, I kind of wonder, like police wondered, if, if Daniel did kill Amber if he went to hide her body, perhaps he used a park. Uh, the park where the bicycle is found is not particularly big, and it's a highly populated area. The park that he hung himself in was a much larger park. It really kind of makes you wonder um, if there's any significance there. Now, this is a real sad story, and one of the reasons why we bring these up, um, even though that Yes, the person that probably did this is no longer with us. But Amber still hasn't been found. And there's a chance that somebody out there knows what happened. Somebody that Daniel might have spoken to or confessed to or something. And that person needs to step forward and tell investigators what they know. I'm sure Amber's family would appreciate knowing what actually happened to Amber. Being able to finally lay her to rest properly would be important for the family. Anyways, guys, that's all I got for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure that you hit that subscribe button because it really helps us out with the algorithms and everything that places this show on uh, search results and everything. Also, if you want to join us on social media, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash Okie Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby, and I will see you guys next time. See ya.
Now, I'm going to leave you guys with a very odd story about my neighbor that I clipped out of this episode that I decided I was just going to tack on at the end. So, enjoy. Now, I don't know how many of you have dealt with a missing child situation. It's frightening. And making that initial phone call is the hardest thing to do because you don't want to admit that your child is missing somewhere. I know for me... Um, I had one incident, I've talked about this before, so I won't go into too much detail, but I had an incident where my daughter had gone to a friend's house after school instead of going to the after school program that she was supposed to go to. And when she didn't show up at the after school program, you know, you'd figure they might give me a call. I guess. I don't know what I'm expecting of them, but they they didn't. And so when I went to go pick her up there, she wasn't. And uh, then I went to the house and looked for her there. And, you know, there she was. Uh, but not 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 before panicking, basically. Um, you know, she'd went to a friend's house and uh, I had gone to some neighbor's houses and stuff trying to figure out if they had seen her because I was just overly worried but and I had some weird neighbors at the time. It, I would tell this story. <laughs> not, not to take you guys too much out of this other story, but I had this weird neighbor, and I knocked on his door, and he like peeked through the blinds, and it was like real creepy, like right. And he they had they had many blinds on their front door, so <laughs> I'm not even joking about this. Um, so. Real creepy guy. Uh, so he peeks through his little blind window door and he says, uh, what do you want? You know, and I tell him what I wanted. Yeah, I, I tell him basically that my daughter's missing and I'm looking for her. If he's seen her, just to let me know if he does see her. And he's like, I, there's no little girl here. And I said, okay. And it was creepy. And I thought, oh my God, she's in there. I'm gonna have to kick the door down. So... Come to find out, you know, short, very shortly after, I found my daughter. So I wasn't, you know, I kind of forgot about all that. So a year goes by, and I am moving from that place. And my neighbor comes. I got a friend of mine helping me move. And a friend a friend of mine is sitting there, and we're, we're pulling a couch out of the house. And my neighbor comes out asking me if I'm moving and it's the the weird guy right and he goes hey do you ever find your daughter <laughs> and my friend just looked at me like what is he talking about <laughs> and sure enough that guy has gone a year thinking that my daughter was probably missing <laughs> and never paid attention because she was in and out of that house all the time I don't know I just thought that was really funny and kind of shows to you that your neighbors can be weird. I'll probably have to cut this out and put this at the end. <laughs> this takes me way out of the story. Anyways. 
save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.